You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined once again by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. Real quick before we begin, of course, always you can subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, a whole bunch, anywhere podcasts are served. Get links to that over at SixersBeat.com. Leave us a rating or a review if you can. It'll help us get out to more more uh, Sixers fans and charge more for ad revenue. And also check out Harry's Razors. That's harrys.com slash SixersBeat. Today's sponsor of the podcast. Great shave, half the price. I'm personally a big fan of myself. I think you will be too. How you doing, Rich? I'm a little worn out after that game last night, man. Seriously, I'm worn out and I didn't even play. I mean, you know, for a while there, it just seemed like the Sixers were going to just sort of skate to a ho-hum loss after, uh, I felt that the narrative would have built up to, oh, they shouldn't have let ESPN in, just stinker after doing all that media today. And they fought back in a, for the second straight game in a game that it really didn't feel like they should have been in at the end. And next thing you knew, Joel Embiid was playing 49 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it was two games in a row, really, because the, the Wolves game, it felt like they shouldn't have been in either. And then you look up, and they were right there, and they, they pulled out a win. And then last night, again, for 42 minutes, that was a, a bad performance, more or less. I mean, they did some, did some things well. Redick had a big first half. Some players struggled, which were the change. Like, a lot of times we say, oh, that's a bad performance. Well, if Covington's shooting like Covington normally does on open looks that he was getting, that's that's a very different ball game. But more or less, I don't think that was a great performance up until the very end when Joel Embiid, I mean, he really almost willed that team to victory, almost not entirely by himself, but, I mean, I, he was clearly the catalyst. And for as much as we'll sit here and, oh, they lost, you know, a one-possession game in triple overtime against a team that's probably be- better than the record indicates, that might be disappointing. Long term, there to me, there are still two very real takeaways from this game. One, holy shit, Joel Embiid is playing a lot of minutes. And two, holy shit, are we lucky to have Joel Embiid. And those two kind of go in together because one of them causes the fear for the other to be much, much greater than it otherwise would have been. Yeah, I mean, he had two blocks on Russell Westbrook Insanity. that were just A+. And, I mean, we're talking top-shelf stuff whether it was the anticipation on the recovery. And then, two, there is nobody in the NBA who blocks the ball harder than Joel Embiid. He almost uh, he almost took off the backboard on one of those blocks. It, it's, uh, it's fitting that he used to be a volleyball player because it just feels like a clean spike sometimes yeah. when, he, when he gets it. And it's... I mean, it's it's so much fun to watch, and you know, you see last night he plays forty nine minutes. You realize at some point he's just going to dominate a game, and I mean, offensively there were still a few uh, few tough possessions down the stretch. It was sort of similar to the Lakers game in that regard, in that he had a couple of chances to win the game, and they were basically some ugly post possessions. But on the other hand, he was scoring on Steven Adams and he fouled him out and he waved to the crowd, which uh, of course set off the thunder. And after they lost, uh, Russell Westbrook waved to him and, yeah, they, and then he started. Of all the teams, I mean, Joel, him being kind of a pain in the ass, isn't exactly like he's, he's, he's that way every game, especially every, every game that he has a good game. If there's one team that wasn't having any of it, the thunder really did not appreciate any of that from, Steven Adams to Camarillo, who seemed like he was the most okay with it after the game, to uh, to Russ, who who didn't like that even a little bit. No, he was furious. And I, I think, you know, I, I still haven't heard Melo's comments completely, but I, I've been told that they were pretty complimentary of Joel. Russell Westbrook might be the first guy who... Yeah. First, of first that guy who stature. was really just like, fuck this shit, man. Fuck it. And you knew that was going to happen at some point. I mean... And if you were going to take bets, Russ was at the very top of the list of the guys who would not stand for it. Absolutely. As much as Joel says this is playful, and I hope nobody takes this personally, guess what? I mean, this is a competitive game, man. That Sometimes you're going to find a guy who's just 
going to look at Joel, and, and Russ is the perfect combination of, A, I've won the MVP. I'm a much more accomplished player than you at this point. B, I am this crazy type A personality that sort of beats to his own drum, so don't talk any crap to me whatsoever. And, and that combination just set him off. Now, I, I will say, Joel's responses, and I, and I wasn't there, to be clear, last night. You were there last night. Actually, I wasn't. I got snowed in. I got oh, you- I got an hour and a half into what should have been a about – usually my, my commute is about 45 minutes. I got an hour and a half into it and was still – by Google Maps uh, or Google Navigation, like an hour and 45 minutes away. And I said, fuck this shit. I'm, nope. The roads were so bad yesterday. It, they, it was two to three inches of snow, but we weren't expecting it. And that's the first first snow of the year when you're not expecting it. But, yeah, there were there were two accidents on 95 South, and I didn't move for a, a solid hour. And it was just like, I'm the, maybe I'll get there by halftime, but what's the point? Anyway, go on. It is funny, too, that the best game of the year is the one we don't show up for for different reasons but uh i I guess that's just the way it works here at the athletic the uh yeah it it was just it was an amazing performance by joe and he uh his response after the game was fantastic to westbrook he's he basically said he told me to go yeah well he goes he, he told me to go home uh i told him i am home i'm not going anywhere this is where i live and then he said, you know, give him credit, but he also shot 33 times. I would love to shoot 33 times. <laughs> Maybe we would have won if I would have shot 33 times. It, his, Even with somebody like Russell Westbrook, uh, if you get in a war of words with Joe, you're not going to win. <laughs> no. He's always going to come out looking better. In it. And, and the best part about him, honestly – and I've noticed this. I, I think I can safely say it after the Lakers and Thunder losses where he had A, LeVar Ball, and then B, a player who was just not having it, a superstar-level player. He uh, Not only can he uh, can he dish it out, he takes it pretty well, I, I think, too, with, as far as it's not like he goes cowering when somebody fires back at him. And that's that's a good thing because that would be an issue if he continued to do that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as well as he played 34 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 blocks, did have 7 turnovers. Uh, the, the big thing that sticks out to me is the 49 minutes and how much he was grabbing his back during the overtime and second overtime and third overtime sessions. Yeah, I mean, it's... So I guess real quick on Troel Embiid, which which was a fantastic nickname. You know, the two that stuck out to me was when somebody asked him whether Andre Drummond, you know, how diversified his offensive game has become. And he's like, he can't shoot. Like, he just can't shoot. What are, what are you talking about? And then last night, that mirrored a lot with what he did with Westbrook. Like, yeah, he's talking shit, but he shot 10 for 33. Like, what are you talking about? It's Joel's he ability is, to— By the way— he isn't wrong. No, he's not. Russ did not. He had a, a couple of incredible plays Russ did at the end of the game. He did not play well throughout the course of it. And a lot of that credit goes to Ben Simmons, which we'll talk about later. But uh, Joel, Joel's, he's not going to back down just because he lost. And he's not going to back down just because, you know, maybe Russ made a, a huge play. Like, he's going to have the bigger picture look on it. And, yeah, you shot 10 for 33. And, yeah, Andre, Andre Drummond can't shoot. And he has no problem pointing that out. You know, in terms of, I guess we can use that to kind of, pivot on to well let's go ahead and talk about the minutes i asked for mailbag questions today which we may or may not get to it depends how long we go by ourselves but about 50 percent of the questions were on joel Embiid and his minutes and clearly that's a huge topic like you said 49 minutes what did he play against the wolves he played what 38 39 something like that too he played a lot of minutes that game too it's not so much just that he's playing a lot of minutes because it's one thing to play one game where you're playing 39, 40, even upwards of 45 minutes if the circumstance dictates. It's that he came into that game questionable because of a lower back tightness. Like there's – and look, it's so hard because there's a line between being hurt and being injured. And everyone's going to have nicks and bruises. And because it's Joel Embiid, we're, gonna, we're, we're going to we're going to like panic because of those nicks and bruises. 
that doesn't mean that every nick and bruise is going to turn into a, a, a long-term major injury concern. It's just, you know, LeBron James goes, oh, man, my, my back's a little sore. You go, okay, LeBron James doesn't miss any games. He'll be fine. Joel Embiid doesn't. We panic because he's been taken down by every every injury known to man, it seems like, especially in his lower body. So just because of Joel's history doesn't necessarily mean that we have to overreact to every bump and bruise. But when it's a lower back injury for a guy who has back issues in the past, and what comes into a game with a lower back injury, then you, you then play him 49 minutes in the game. Yeah, I'm very concerned about I mean, this is how long has this lower back thing been going on now? Like a, a week, a solid week and a half? Like this is not a, a, a one or two day thing. And he looked like an old man out there at times, which made blocks like uh like like the one he had on Russ incredible because he like he labored back in transition defense on there and like sometimes Joel Embiid's late on transition defense because he's he's conserving energy and that's the nice way that I'll phrase that and then he'll like respond with a burst of energy like oh shit I I jogged back up the court and now we're we're giving up a layup no last time last night he could barely get up and down the court. And he turned it on for that block on Russ. It was incredible. But do I worry that on like every third play, it looked like he was grabbing his back? Yeah, I'm worried. I don't know how you couldn't be worried. I don't know how you couldn't be worried. It really was the weirdest thing. I mean, he would labor up and down the court, and then he would have a block on Westbrook, or he would school Adams in the post. It was, I mean, it, it was a thing where you wanted them to take him off the court, but you knew as soon as they took him off the court, the game was over. They were going to lose. Uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably been a week. The, the first we heard of the back tightness was against the Lakers, and then he missed the back to back. Well, I think it was. The, I, th- I think it was at at the Pelicans game, right? Because he originally he sat the Cavs game because of quote unquote load management, and then they announced him that he missed the Pelican game because yeah. of the back injury. But they also said it's been dating back to the Lakers game. So I think it started the Lakers game. But I don't yeah. think we heard about it until, you know, like yeah. five or six days ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I'm saying I'm using his comments. He he right. said that the Lakers was when it first started acting up. And then obviously, yeah, he misses the Pelicans game and then he plays a ton of minutes. Well, I, I think the first solution to that is stop playing triple overtime games. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I think they'll be able to take care of us on that front. I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, we'll see. I mean, they're. ESPN got their money's worth in the Sixers the well, last think, couple of days. I think those are the only two overtime games the Sixers have played all year. It just happened to come in the, the last two games. Yeah, he – It honestly, I was sitting there, and I, I was with one of my friends, and he was joking with me, and his whole point was, do you think Brett – shook his hand after the game and said, we'll see you. We'll see you Christmas. Uh, <laughs> and I think, I think last night, Joel even joked a little bit about, oh man, they're, they're going to have to rest me for forever after this, which is, <laughs> I mean, he's just fantastic in terms of how self-aware he is and what people think. But for real, I, uh, I think your point about playing hurt versus playing injured is a great one. And it, it just goes to show with everything the Sixers have been through and with what that guy shows out on the court, the talent he has, I am always going to err on the side of shut him down. Like, like John Taffer, shut him the fuck down. It, he can not go through another game grabbing his back like that. Yeah. Unless, unless they can convince us that that's something that will assuredly get better on its own. I, and I don't think they can do that. Not with their, I, their history, no. No. So he, I, I don't want to see him do that again. As as well as he played last night, I just, I my whole thing is the next time he plays in a game, I do not want to see any of that grimacing. If it means shutting him down for a couple of weeks, I would be okay with that. You know, as as hard as it would be for their playoff hopes, this is not a guy you mess around with, and it's it's part of the reason. At the beginning of the the year, when you hear all of these comments, like you can't treat this guy with kid gloves. Yeah, yes, you can. Okay, <laughs> uh, he, you're trying to get ten years out of him, and do you see what he's capable of on a court? This is not somebody you are reckless with to win a game against the Thunder in December. So, like, I I don't blame the Sixers for continuing to play him last night. It seemed like he was pretty adamant 
that he wanted to keep playing, and obviously he was playing great too. But now that they have this break, there needs to be some sort of decision made here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's always a part of it too. Like he is a human being who has say in this. I mean, he said right from training camp, you know, when they were talking about playing 18 minutes or in the teens minutes to start the season, he's like, look, I have a say and they have to listen to me. Well, now he's a player with 146 million says in the in the equation and a player who has a kind of, you know, the kind of gravitas where he you have to keep Joel Embiid happy. That's not a that's not a question. And you see where superstars can dictate at least some of their own circumstance from time to time. And is Joel Embiid at that level? I'm not sure. But it, to me, it would have been very difficult. You know, whereas last year, Brett Brown could have said, Joe, we're in overtime, but you're at your limit. Go sit down. Brett to say, Joe, you know, you look like you're laboring. Go sit down. That would have been real interesting to see how that would have unfolded. I think it's probably easier to convince him before a game like, Joe, you're taking this night off. than Joe, you're not playing in second o- overtime. Um, we'll see how it shakes out because you're right. On the one hand, he's going to have to get to the point where he can comfortably play through pain. I'm not sure the back is the area I would want to test that on. And I don't have any question whether Joel can play through pain. But like we as fans are going to have to get used to the fact that he is going to be nicked up from time to time. I just don't think the back is the area that I would test that with. Not for a player who has previous back injury. And regardless of what the injury is, I'm probably going to be very uncomfortable when that time comes. Because you see the way that he performs on the court. I mean, you need him to take over game defensively, he's there. You need him to run your offense through, he's there. You need him to set up his teammates. And over the last two games, he's had incredible passes to his teammates setting oh him up. Oh, my God. I mean, the the, the 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 Wolves game, what do you have in, in the Wolves game? Something like eight assists, eight, I think? Eight, eight assists to two turnovers, and I think he had four assists in crunch time and overtime, and three of those were just absolute buttes. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of those... There's a little bit of defensive indifference there with the with the Wolves. I don't want to <laughs> deny that. Like Some of those passes, to me, weren't all that impressive because of, of the court vision or creativity because when Ben Simmons runs and, and Carl Anthony Towns and, and, and you know a couple other players just completely lose sight of him, like, that's not the most technically difficult pass to make. What impressed me was the patience. Like He would wait out a double team. He would know what he was going to do if the double came, and he would know that beforehand. So I think for me, it was a patience to see those plays develop. Last night was just some incredible vision and execution. That bounce pass to Cove was incredible. Some Woo! of the passes to, to Simmons. Simmons. For, the one where he, the where, one where he hung in the air was yeah. fantastic. And for Last, a game like Simmons where he, he struggled to really create in the half court, getting him some easy buckets like that and letting him run off the ball with Embiid attracting so much attention, it's great to have that option. So he can, he can really take over a game in three different ways. God, just stay healthy. Like I always said before last season started, he's going to start playing and I'm going to get even more. Like some people are going to get a little bit of overconfidence because he's playing and he's on the court and, and you'll forget how big of an injury concern he is. When he's playing like this, I get even more nervous because you could just see what he, he could become and what you had the chance to lose. I really hope this back thing is nothing. Yeah, and hey, it might be. It, obviously, he's able to play through it. So this isn't something that, you know, he, he can't walk off on the floor, but I just hate watching him grimace. It's just, it's I, we've been scarred too many times, and maybe that is what's influencing this whole discussion. But, hey, if uh, if the Sixers err on the side of being overprotective, I'm, I'm with it. Go ahead. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, that's that's Joel Embiid. That game is Joel Embiid in a, in a nutshell. Unbelievable play on both ends of the court. To the point where the crowd, he's just got them eating out of his palm, too. Just firing them up the whole night. The opponents are pissed off at him because he's trolling them. The The minutes limit is something to look at. The The injury is something to look at. It's it, he, he is the most interesting man in the NBA. And... Uh, and yeah, we'll see what the Sixers do. They have a uh, they have a back to back coming up on Monday night and Tuesday. I would be stunned if he plays Monday against Chicago. I'd be stunned if he makes that trip. Yeah, I think that, I think that's probably the right read. I would I would be surprised if he even traveled with the team. Like I think I think it's almost a guarantee he will not play at the very least. So that would leave Tuesday against the Kings and. I mean, hey, if they were looking for the excuse, can we win this game without him? Um, that's a pretty good team that 
try that against, despite the fact that they already lost to them this season. So, I mean, and then, you know, they have a couple days rest. I So so my guess would be, we'll see, this is just complete guess, but if I had to bet the next time he plays, I would say next Thursday at home against Toronto. And if the Sixers were able to get him in the training room and he was able to work out his back issues in that amount of time, that would be fantastic. But obviously, the you know, back issues are something that, necessarily might not go away that quickly. So we'll see. Yeah. Yep. You're right. It probably is the right time. I mean, the, the Bulls have won a couple games here. Not a great Bulls are in fuego, but, they, I, you know. They are. I mean, they beat, they did beat, they, I mean, they beat the Bucks, and the Bucks were playing well of late. They beat the Celtics, which I don't, I, I don't know how that happened. Uh, I don't buy it even in the slightest bit. I mean, this was a team that was, um, you know, what were they? Three and 20, I think, before this most recent winning streak. I don't, I don't, you know, shit happens in the NBA and I don't think all of it you have to necessarily believe is going to be sustainable but that being said it may not be quite as easy of a game as you would have expected at the very least though I think it's one where the combination of him playing that many minutes it's still being only you know what they get two days off in between it and then another relatively easy opponent after that I think it's the perfect time to sit him and if you're going to play that you know balancing act of Look, we know if we sit Joel for a week, it's going to impact our, our playoff chances. This is the week where you can sit him and minimize that impact. I think, uh, you know, I think it probably makes sense. Or Joel could be feeling better in two days or three days and play one of those two games. Or Joel can be like, screw it. They're telling me I can't make the back any worse. I'm going to play anyway. Who knows? This is certainly not based off of any information. It's just a guess. But I think there's a chance he'll sit at least a game or two. Yeah. All right, before moving on, let's take a real quick second to tell our listeners about Harry's. Harry's has been a longtime sponsor of this podcast and product I've personally used almost every day for nearly a year now. Shopping for razors can be a chore, having to spend way too much money to get something that's of decent quality. Harry's solves that dilemma by offering you amazing products at a reasonable price, with high-quality German-engineered blades that come in at half the price of competing brands. Over 3 million guys have already switched to Harry's, and that proven quality makes for a great potential gift to any guys in your family. It's a practical gift that will get a ton of use, and you can personalize it with plenty of color options and custom engravings to make it feel special. This holiday, Harry's is offering custom and limited edition shaving sets that make perfect gifts. The sets come in with German-engineered five-blade cartridges that provide a close, comfortable shave, foaming shaved gel that smells amazing, I'm actually sniffing it right now, special limited edition winter chrome and emerald green handles, and can be personalized with custom engraving options. The sets come ready to gift in beautifully designed gift boxes, start at just $10, and make great stocking stuffers. As a special offer, we've partnered with Harry's to give you $5 off your order when you go to harrys.com slash Sixersbeat. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash Sixersbeat. This offer is only available for the holidays, so hurry on over now. Shipping cutoff ends this week to get your gifts delivered on time. This holiday, give Harry's and give Handsome with limited edition holiday shave sets while supplies last. Once again, go to harrys.com slash Sixersbeat right now. All right, let's get into Ben Simmons a little bit. I think if you just look at the box score last night, he was okay. Like 12 points, 11 assists, 9 rebounds, 4 steals. Only 3 turnovers, which is a, a pretty decent amount. Something like a 13% usage rate in 52 minutes which for a guy who I think we were all blown away with how easily he was scoring in the half court to start the season, and for a guy who against, you know, say what you will about the Oklahoma City Russell Westbrooks, they're a second-ranked defense in the league right now. They really could have used kind of yeah, that. They guard. Yeah, they do guard, and they could have really used that second real clear-cut scorer and shot creator, especially as J.J. Redick went a little bit cold in the second half. But you look at Ben's numbers of late, what you know? What's he averaging? Maybe like twelve points a game over the last couple of weeks. Uh, not the greatest efficiency numbers. Still, obviously, creating for others. But what do you think is the real driving force behind a, a much more um, conservative Ben Simmons? Yeah, it was a weird game for him last night because, and I think we can talk about this a little later. I thought that was his best offensive game yep. of the year, specifically yep. against Westbrook. It was. It was weird, you know. I'm going to talk about it now, just just while I have it on on my mind. Uh, I was more confident in him guarding Westbrook than Covington last night yep. for some reason, and that might have been, hey, you know, Cubs still coming off the back injury. He struggled on 
The other end of the floor, that was well documented with the three of 15 three point shooting. But I thought Ben's defense against, and he had, he had a couple unbelievable possessions down the stretch of that game. I think in regulation where he and Embiid switched and forced a really tough shot for, I think it was Paul George. I'm, I'm not positive. Anyway, that was pretty good. But yes, the offense is concerning and specifically, like you said, the 13% usage rates. He's not keeping the defense that honest with his shot right now. And I think part of that is he's not even attempting a jumper. In the beginning of the year, say what you want. I mean, it, it didn't look good, and it didn't always go in. But there were nights where he would knock down an elbow jumper. And I think just even trying that has a little bit of an effect on the defense. They, they don't want to give that up wide open, even though they're going under screens. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's been... You know, it's it, it's come. I don't really see a a consistency to the teams. Like he he struggled the other night against Minnesota, but they're not a great defensive team. Last night, that you know, I mean, playing against Paul George and Andre Robertson is a really tough guy for Ben to get around. Say what you want about Robertson's offense, but he's kind of the perfect guy to guard Ben. I you want to say he needs to be more aggressive, but yeah, he's not drawing the same type of contact, and I. I can't exactly put my finger on why, but that needs to change. He needs to get back to the the beginning part of the year. To uh, and to, to clarify my tone there, we talked about this at the beginning of the year. He was going to struggle at some point. Yep. I I think we thought though that he would have a three for fifty night. And as weird as it sounds, I'd like to see that from right. him because <laughs> because his six for ten comes when the offense isn't guarding him. He's getting him on easy dunks, and it's, it's you look at it, and his field goal percentage looks good at the end of the night, and my thought is you didn't put enough pressure on the defense, and part of putting pressure on the defense is taking shots at the rim, even if they're a little hard. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Did you listen to the ESPN podcast with, you know, I think it had Pablo and Kevin Arnovitz and Jack McMullen on it? I didn't listen. I read the Kevin Arnovitz uh, Aussie right. Rules football story. That was very good. Go uh, go listen to it. They Jackie talked to his high school coach, and he would say, like, when he would miss a shot bad, he would not take that shot for a couple of days. Like he would. Kevin just, Bo- that's, Ke- that's Kevin Boyle, yes, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. But he would he would tell him, look, keep shooting, keep shooting, keep shooting, and Ben wouldn't shoot. So it's interesting to go back, and 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 clearly that's a couple of years removed from there. But you do look at his shot and you just it's it's you wonder if he has a confidence in this shot to miss three in a row and keep on taking them. And I do think at some point, even if he reworks his jump shot, he's going to go through slumps and he needs to be able to shoot his way out of slumps a little bit and keep that defense honest. I think right now you look at the numbers in the half court right now, Ben's shooting. He's shooting 47 percent from the field, which on its merit is good until you realize that's an effective field goal percentage of 47% because he doesn't <laughs> yeah. he doesn't take any threes. So you look at his overall points per possession and it's 0.8 and a half court, which is is not great. It's in a it's a 21st percentile among scorers in the half court. And his assist to turnover ratio in the half court is below 2, which in, you know, transition is almost 3. So I think right now what we're starting to see and for as frustrating as it, as it is, this is a lot more, I think, of what I expected the Ben Simmons experience to be like. A dynamic transition player, a guy who can get to the rim in the half court, you know, at times, but who's also going to be held back by his jumper a lot at times. And yeah, a game like last night with Roberson is going to be difficult for Ben. Like there just aren't, there aren't many defenders of that caliber who can body him up like that. We said that's the same thing with, uh, you know, with Jay Crowder and Draymond Green. But I think by and large, over the last two weeks or so, he just hasn't been as aggressive getting to the rim. I think he hasn't had as many opportunities getting to the rim. And there's a whole lot of theories why it could go from the big ball lineups to teams defending him differently. And quite frankly, I'd have to really sit down. And and, and I, I mean, this would be a great article idea. It's something we should definitely do. But he definitely hasn't gotten the same looks that he got to start the season. And what I'll always wonder is, you know, yeah, he can probably get by at a reasonable degree. Right now in the regular season, what's it going to look like in the playoffs? Should the Sixers be lucky enough to make it? What's it going to look like when a, a coach has, you know, days and seven games to game plan against him? 
that to me is going to be the real test. There was a lot of discussion and debate. Does Ben Ben Simmons need a jump shot to be great? Well, you know, maybe he can be a top 30 player, a top 20 player without his jump shot. But in order to be a top 10 player, a top 5 player, yeah, I think he probably does need a jump shot to some degree. It'll be interesting to see how exactly they go about building that jump shot pretty much up from the ground up. But right now it doesn't happen. Right now he doesn't have it. And I do think it hurts. I think we're seeing that it will eventually hurt him quite a bit. And by the way, he's still a fantastic player. I don't, I don't, I don't deny that at all. But I do think we are seeing some consequence to not having that jump shot. Agreed. This, this comes in the context of he's already awesome without a jump shot, but how can we get him into that top tier of players? And to your question about the playoffs, well, maybe the playoffs are the time, you know, he, he starts firing up 25 footers. They go under the screen and he starts shooting them right handed. That, uh, <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Um, 22 foot floater? Yeah, I, I don't think he's capable yet. Uh, I uh, I see what the high school coach is talking about because you see it with free throws at the end yes. of games. And that's that's one reason people hypothesize that he's not driving as much because of that Orlando game. Uh, yeah, the, the Washington game, right? The, the hack of Ben. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. So, yeah, and I. by the way, I – you don't want to recklessly speculate, but I, if I had to guess, there probably is some merit to that because there have been multiple games. I think it's been three times where he has gotten fouled late in the game, and he's made one of two. Like like against the uh, Timberwolves the other night, he's bringing the ball up at the end, and it's under two minutes. But because he's bringing the ball up and running the offense, Tibbs is screaming for Jimmy Butler to intentionally foul him. Okay, they get that done. Ben makes one of two. Then I forget what the Wolves do the next possession. They score in some some fashion. And the Sixers are still up, I don't know, five or six. They inbound the ball to Simmons. He plays hot potato with that thing so fast. And he throws it to Embiid, 80 feet from the hoop. And Tibbs gets a trap on on him, and they have to call timeout. That is not what I want to see. Because... Simmons, I mean, in a lot of their lineups, and the other night they were playing Rashawn Holmes at the four at the end of the game, uh, he is by far their only ball handler. Yep. Unless you unless you want J.J. Redick to bring up the ball, but I don't think that's really an option until the last 20 seconds when the other team has to foul him. Uh, and, yeah, you totally see that. He made one of two. It's not that bad in the grand scheme of things, and he, he wants nothing to do with that shot the next time. I mean, it, when Hack when Hackaben went on against the Wizards, like people said, like, do you think that's a long term strategy? I'm like, no. If he's making fifty percent of them, like, you're not gonna you're gonna do that when you're desperate, when you need to extend the game. But I don't think it's gonna be a day to day thing. But I do think, and look, who knows exactly how much that plays on Ben's mind? I do think it was interesting what Kevin Boyle said. But I mean. Is it reasonable that there's a chance it does? Yeah, nobody wants to go to the line 30 times and miss 14 of them or whatever happened. Like you just that that hurts a player's psyche. And for a player who, you know, everyone came out and said, "Oh, look, see, he said it's never going to happen again." Well, that's great, but like you don't make free free throws by wanting to make free throws. Like he's going to have to put some serious work into that form. And until that happens, until the results come, I think it would be natural natural to wonder how much confidence he has at the line. It's Really tough to navigate when that's... It's one thing when that's DeAndre Jordan or Andre Drummond in previous years. It's another thing when that's your your only ball handler, like you said. That's a, a really tough spot to navigate at times. Yeah, you can hide DeAndre Jordan under the rim and just say, dunk anything that we throw up at you, but, but, but you don't have to handle the ball at all. Yeah, I mean, this guy is the person who is orchestrating your entire offense for 46 minutes, and then at the end... It's it's just a weird situation, and that's something he and the Sixers are going to have to work around. I you know some of it's mental too, like you said. He I I feel bad in this regard. When the average person watches him brick half of his free throws, they will say to him, and he will hear this: "How do you only make half of your free throws? You're in the NBA. This is your job." Do you not work on this stuff? And he clearly does work on this stuff, but for reasons that that might be that he's shooting with the wrong hand, he uh, right now he can't make more. That like 
I, I don't know. What is he shooting at the line for the season now? Is it 50% at this point? It's a good question. I think it's in the 50s. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to get any better than that this season. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's an off-season problem at this point. And, yeah, it's something they're going to have to navigate around. But, hey, if you told me that was going to be the main growing pain, basically Simmons is, is not quite as aggressive and his free throws are a problem, it's it's a decent place to be at for a rookie point guard. No, I mean, uh, the, like I said, the Simmons we've seen the past two weeks is kind of the Simmons I expected to see this season. The, the first half or the first couple of weeks was much greater than I would have expected. And I, I I felt like I had pretty high expectations for Simmons. So I think the fact that I think this is really only an issue. Well, first of all, because the team has playoff aspirations, but also because our expectations were adjusted by his play earlier in the year. I still think he's going to be a fantastic player, but I do think the jump shot and the free throw shooting and the the handedness is a, a really interesting conversation. I think more interesting than should he try to change to his right hand is, will he try to change? Because you have to get buy-in from the player and you have to get, you know, his willingness to go through and, and, and re- change everything from the ground up and his willingness to continue doing that when he doesn't see immediate results and when he struggles at the beginning that to me is a a fascinating question I'd love to get an answer to as well. But do they change it? I don't know. It's clearly not going to happen in season. That would be unprecedented. But it's a, it's a fascinating question. I I really don't know how this gets resolved or if it gets resolved, to be honest. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think we have anything else. I mean, again, his defense was really good last night. And it, he's a weird defender in that some nights he'll just be lazy, especially, especially off the ball, the switches. Sometimes and it's not even. It's also not laziness. Sometimes he, it, I say this all the time that he never played in a stance at college. He doesn't always play in a stance in the pros, even though he's playing hard. I don't think he understands that bending your knees a little bit helps you slide defensively than when you're you know straight up. But last night against Westbrook, his activity level and his length forcing him into tough shots was fantastic. I was really impressed with that. Yeah, he was really good. And he was, you know, they threw a lot of defenders at Rustbrook. They had Cove on him at times. They had TJ on him. They had Ben. They had Bayless. Like, they, that was not a guy that you defend with a person, in part because it would just wear you out, but in part because Russ pushes the ball so well in transition and forces cross matches. But when Ben was on him, he did, I mean, he did a real good job of using his length, of fighting through screens, which he doesn't always do well, and with, uh, you know, with moving his feet, which he can do well. And, and like you said, sometimes he needs to, getting a better stance, but he was probably the most effective on Westbrook, which was which was really impressive to see. And, and I mean, look, Russ shot, like we said, 10 for 33, turned the ball over, I think, six times. He gave you a chance to win. The Sixers just didn't execute well enough offensively for much of the first 40-plus uh, first minutes. But it was a, a really good, like you said, I think it might have been his best defensive effort of the season. Quick thought on Westbrook. The, uh, the media was asking the question before the game, how do you stop this guy? Uh, and I think you joked to me, well, I mean, you stop this guy by just letting him play his brand of basketball. And I think last night kind of showed why I think he's a little overrated in terms of, I, I mean, he's an amazing player and like the craziest athlete I've ever seen. His dunk on Saric, what was what <laughs> overtime was that in? I, dude, I don't remember. <laughs> I have no idea. Let's say that was the second second overtime. He was 40 minutes deep in a game that he had played his ass off so far. To come up with that dunk when you're that tired is some freak shit, man. That's unbelievable how good it is. Uh, but, yeah, I, I mean, it's like how do you stop this guy? Well, like Joe said, took 33 shots. Not a lot of them were good ones. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's like they – there was some talk in the media you would think this was a juggernaut offensive team because they have you know, because they have Westbrook and PG and, and Mello. You know, that's a team that was a bottom ten offense coming into the game. They're a team that had that was staying afloat because of their defense. Worry about that. That and by the way, it, it turned out to be true. Sixers got stops. They held the the Thunder even with the ridiculous pace that game was played at. They held him they held him in ninety four points in regulation. Like they, they got enough stops to win that game. They just didn't execute offensively for a very large portion of it. Um, and oddly, because I don't think anybody expected it, it was it was Melo that they couldn't stop in the first half. He was the one who really did the damage. But 
Yeah, it was it was a lot of focus on Westbrook. He does put a lot of pressure on you, but by and large, it was defensively they had to overcome last night. But um, would you? By the way, I think Andre Robertson's probably making around ten million dollars. I forget what his contract is. I'm not sure it's worth it. To, the shame of having nobody guard you at the end of games. Did you see? I mean, his bucket to. Uh, to seal the game where Westbrook threw him. Did you see how little attention Embiid was paying him? Yeah. He was standing under the rim. Well, even even the, the, the potential game winner that he missed and was quite honestly fouled on, but he probably would have bricked two, three free throws anyway. You know, he he didn't he wanted no parts of that first layup. Like he had a, a wide open layup, pass it up, and then got oh. it back. He it, it it's it's tough. It's tough. And for as much but, as we'll talk about Ben not being a threat, like that's a completely different level of non threat. Oh, yeah, because Ben can make things happen when he has the ball in his hands, regardless, uh, at a high level. And West and Robertson is probably the lowest level. The uh, Yeah, it's just it's one of the craziest things. I Did you see when he had the fast break layup and he passed it up too? Yeah, yep. I mean, that's, you know, we talk about Markel and all the problems going on in his head. I mean, that is, like, that. that's the, that's just a guy being shook. He he just has no confidence in him. In his layups, even which is crazy. That's that's enough thunder talk. I just that that, that kind of blew me away watching that game last night. It, it was the one thing that distracted me from Embiid's uh, <laughs> back. Was for a couple minutes I was thinking, man, this Andre Robertson situation is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Yeah, I'll take a, I'll take our version in Cove any day of the week. All right, let's move on. You brought up Markel. It was seven days ago today, so we have not had a podcast since they released the Markel Fultz medical update. And I'll read it here verbatim. By the way, no press availability for this update. This was the day after he was asked. It was the day after the trade when, when Colangelo spoke about the trade. They released this after that. Fultz is no longer is experiencing soreness in his right shoulder and the scapular muscle imbalance is resolved. He will continue ongoing PT and maintenance while participating in increased strength and conditioning and elevated on-court basketball activities. The 76ers medical team, in coordination with Dr. Kibler, will gauge his readiness in approximately three weeks. So, first of all, did you see the NBA video? NBA NBA Twitter account tweeted out a 34-second video saying Markel Fultz is working towards a return. It was all, you know, all Fultz in the weight room and stretching and 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 <laughs> the 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 um, responses predictable predictably bemoan the fact that they didn't show any basketball activity being done there. You know, they say three weeks. They'll gauge his readiness in three weeks. Do you think we'll see him before January 1? Probably not. But it's just a guess at this point. I mean, when the updates are such non-updates, it's hard to gauge. I I mean, the good news for him is, like they said in their – in their press release, it's not a physical issue anymore. So I, in terms of uh, like Joel trying to get back onto the court, I don't think there's going to be a long cardio period. Hopefully, I, I think he's probably going to be in decent game shape when he's ready to go. But yeah, I you know the <laughs> as far as him reacclimating in terms of his shot and everything, it, it, my whole thing from the beginning here has been until we see him actually shoot a jump shot correctly and more or less what we saw at Washington all of these medical updates I mean what do they really mean yep and that is probably the most frequent question I get on Twitter you know have you seen Markel shoot a jumper outside of those lefty bullshit jumpers he was screwing around with no I haven't seen him shoot since July I've asked the team whether or not he is shooting jumpers they have all declined to provide specifics on his rehab I think you can there's some tea leave reading you can do there. You know, when will he play? When he's confident in that jumper. I mean, it, it, to me, it's it's really that simple. Like, I think there's... If you go back and you listen to our podcast and to what I wrote about the Markel Fultz situation at the time, I was pretty clear that I thought this was... You know, yeah, there might be a, a, a shoulder injury there as well. But that I thought, you know, and I said this at the time that they took him out of lineup, that based on the stuff Brett Brown said on the record based on conversations I had 
off the record, not off the record, but on background at the time and based on conversations I've had now that have only strengthened that or in, in the intervening couple of months that have only strengthened that, you know, I think Markel pretty clearly tried to change his shot late in the offseason. And I don't think he was ready to start the season. And like I said, yeah, there might be a muscle th- or a, a shoulder thing in there as well. But I think he's got to get his jump shot back. And I think he's got to get the confidence in his jump shot back. How long is that going to take? I have no idea. I have no idea whatsoever. I'm not sure I've ever seen, you know, something like this where an elite or a very good shooter came in, made changes to his jump shot, and now has to revert it. Like, you just don't see that happen in season. And even if even if the shoulder injury caused the changes in his jump shot, which I'm not sure I necessarily buy, and, and judging on, I mean, Brett Brown could not have been clearer when he said, Markel wanted to change his jump shot. But even if it was related to the muscle, well, how long does it take you to get back to the, the, the shooting mechanics and the form that you had grown accustomed to before you altered it for the shoulder injury? It's completely unprecedented in a situation. I cannot judge it how quickly I think he will get back until I see him shoot. It doesn't seem like, based on the reaction I've been getting from the Sixers, that he's going to be shooting in front of us anytime soon anyway or at the very least that they're willing to acknowledge that it is. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, man. I, I have no idea to predict. I do think I do. Th- I like people, people jump to the worst possible conclusion. All this, especially it's what I've always said with both Sam Hinkie and now with the Colangelo regime, when you don't give people information, they fill it in with the worst possible version of events. I don't think the worst possible case in terms of red shirting him is going to happen. I think he will play this year. No, but, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. We'll see him at some point, but, is that late December? Is that early January? Is that late January? I have no idea. I I would say early January just is kind of like a safe middle ground, but it's it's I have honestly never seen anything completely like this in in basketball. It's it's very strange. Very strange. Our, our estimating in the past of Sixers core players returning from injury or <laughs> forgetting how to shoot or whatever you want to call it has been pretty pretty checkered, I got to say. Uh the uh, the popular take that's been going around recently that I thought last night really illustrated it. I, right now, it, it's basically people say when when Ben struggles in crunch time and they're running the offense through Joe is they need Fultz. And right now, I think that answer is probably I, I don't I don't think he's going to play at that level even if his shot is good. But in general, I think. I t- I totally agree with that. To have a guy who could initiate on the pick and roll and get his own shot the way Markel did at Washington, y- you could sort of see why Colangelo made that trade last year. You could see, hey, this guy can fill in Ben's weaknesses. Ben, he, his shot may never make him a dynamic scorer down the stretch. Well, guess what? If we have this guy who can run pick and roll with Joe, we might really have something here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I still very much believe in the talent of Markel Fultz, and I will say, like a lot of people, oh, he, you know, he lost confidence in his shot. I don't think, you know, as much as as based on my conversations, both on the record with Brett and then on background with various people in the months since, I think that he probably got some bad advice in the offseason, changed his shot. But I don't think it's like he just lost confidence in his shot. Like I think he made changes that probably didn't need to be made, which. Brett Brown has said probably didn't need to be made. Lost confidence because the consistency in those changes never materialized. But the the confidence being lost because of the lack of consistency is completely different than a kid just coming into camp with the yips. Like I don't think that that's yeah. been a, a, a common thing. I don't think he just came into camp and lost confidence. I think he came into camp because he, his form wasn't ready for it. So I still have a lot of confidence in this kid long term. I think he's the right fit for both Joel, because I think that pick and roll game is going to be dynamic. Like the amount of attention Embiid receives, the amount of attention Rashawn Holmes receives is going to open things up for Markel in a way he never had at Washington. And I think he fits Ben Simmons because like you said, Ben may never be that guy at a consistent level, at least where you're just going to give him the ball with 10 seconds left on a shot clock and ask him to create a scoring opportunity because he's so, he's so, uncertain of his own ability to get a shot off um it's it's i think he's going to be a real good fit i don't know how much you're going to see of that you know i think one thing we saw with the really shortened preseason this year is that it takes even veterans and even teams that don't have a lot of change in them some time to really get up to speed 
And with the shortened preseason, I think the there was a lot of results early in the season that we didn't expect because teams just weren't ready to compete. Well, you take now a 19-year-old kid, drop him into the middle of an NBA season when everybody else is really up to speed, and he's got to figure out his jump shot. He's got to figure out his role on the team. He's got to figure out how to adjust to NBA players. I think that's going to be a real tough adjustment for him to make. I do think you should expect some real growing pains when Markel does come back to the game. So maybe that theoretical fit and that theoretical talent that this team is sorely lacking, it can be true that I think when he's up to speed, it's going to really help. I just don't know how much of it's going to happen in the middle of a playoff run that the Sixers are hopefully making in the middle of the season. Uh, It's going to be real interesting to see, to make sure that they still really have their eye on what's important. And what's important is Ben and Joel and Markel and growing them. And the playoffs, while a goal, are still secondary in that nature. I hope I hope the Sixers and Brett Brown still have that focus. I think they do. But they're going to have to prove that once Markel does come back to the lineup. Yeah. And, and I mean, God, it's even like little things. We're talking about the free throws at the end of the game. Well, guess what? That doesn't matter as much if Markel Fultz is playing and not shooting like he forgot how to shoot. Well, he was never a great free throw shooter at Washington either. I mean, he's, like, we're talking point. a different strat- stratosphere than Ben, but he's still not like, ideally you want JJ or, or Embiid taking those shots still. But even if he was at his percentage last year, he is not a guy that somebody will foul automatically. Sure. Agreed. Agreed. And he can at least advance the ball. Whereas some of the other guys on the floor cannot. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to talk about him. We haven't really seen him play. It is. It is. I I haven't seen him do anything other than bullshit layups in so long. I can't even remember. Can't even remember. But bullshit layups is a great term for it too. I mean, they're not even real layup. Like I've seen him do a couple of drills, but by and large, he's at a basket shooting, you know, left-handed layups for ten minutes, and they shuttle off the court real quickly. It's it's been as someone trying to cover the team and relay information to you, the fans. It has been frustrating from my experience, but. Uh, let's see. Anything else? What do we have? We're at 50 minutes, so I don't want to go too deep into mailbag questions. Let's see. We have, here's one from Michael Goober, uh, at mgoober1313 on Twitter. What do you think the team needs more of? Shot creation, bench scoring, bench wing defense. Uh, what, if you were making a trade, what would you kind of address first? Yes. Right. Uh, and I think if, if if we're talking about this in the context of a trade, you pretty much take whatever you can get out of those. You, you say, okay, these are our areas of need. Now, what legitimate options are there to address those? I don't think you can necessarily, like, you're not going to give give up second round picks and be picky per se. It's sort of what we talked about with the Trevor Booker trade. I, I don't mind Trevor Booker as a player, but you would wish you would get that impact as a wing guy who can play defense and maybe make a three. Now, again, those guys don't grow on trees. For the most part, if you can do both of those things, you're going to make over $10 million a year. Uh, it's uh, I, in it's, Cubs, it's hard. In Cubs' case, barely over $10 million a year. Yeah. Which is uh, why that's such a great contract. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you've probably looked at this. I, again, my uh, my high level of preparation here. Uh, as far as what seems more gettable, I, I mean, it's, it's not worth it to me to uh, to just get a gunner who can create his own shot. I, I don't think that's a huge deal at this point. I mean, the uh, it, it's just you can see how limited they are when Ben isn't attacking because as good as JJ and Cove are, they're not creating their own shot. JJ can do it a little bit with his uh, his running off screens, but it's not at that level. I, I would just say if you could find somebody who's a little bit better than TLC at this point and the price isn't exorbitant and you're not giving up any of your key uh, long-term assets, whether that's a first-round pick or whatever, getting a bench guy who can I, – I don't even want to say – play D- three or D because TLC isn't doing either at this point. Uh, so yeah, shoring up that bench wing rotation in some way or another would be something I would look at. By the way, TLC at DNP CD last night, which deservedly so very deservedly. So he's been, he's been a real disappointment and those three and D draft prospects, I think are sometimes the most difficult to project 
because you really usually do have to do project one or the other. He's been a he's been a real disappointment so far, and I still have I guess some hope for him. But it's it's I wouldn't mind it if Furcon would gain twenty pounds and a little bit of experience because I at least trust that Furcon is going to do what he's supposed to do offensively and put put some level of de- of pressure on the defense. Right now, TLC is just bad decision after bad decision. It's been it's been been disappointing for sure. And that actually brings us to our second mailbag question from uh, KMC1 McCormick1978. How is Furkan getting any better going back and forth and playing next to zero minutes in the NBA? Um, I, you know, I I don't I think what. what it's what we sort of talked about at the beginning of the year. Hopefully he's getting some stuff done in the weight room. It doesn't look like it, but then again, I mean, it's not the, uh, the process of gaining weight is not an overnight thing. He is playing a lot in the D league. What I'm, I'm looking up his stats right now. He's played nine games at 32 minutes a game. And, uh, he's firing up some shots there. 16 shots per game. Uh, I, you know, I, it, it is a weird thing. We haven't ha- the Sixers really haven't had a prospect who is legitimately could be in their long term plans, who they're featuring so much in Delaware. Yikes! He's only shooting thirty five percent from the field and nineteen percent from three in the G League. That's lower than I would have thought. Not good, and it's it, it might be to the point of the question: Is shuttling him back? Is that hurting him? Is he not? sort of finding a uh, consistency with Jacob Pullen and whoever the hell else is on that team. Uh, I, I don't know. But, yeah, he his stats are not very impressive in the D-League. And I know I, Brett joked about it a few weeks ago when he came back up. That their whole thing was the, the players and him. They didn't even care how he shot. They just wanted to know how many shots he took. Well, I hope they're right. Um. But yeah, at some point you want to see the ball go in the basket. And I it's funny, his uh his little cameo in New Orleans, I thought he was a little better than the box score suggested. Yeah. Yep. I I kinda like his defense. It seems like it, it's not at an elite level by any means. It's probably not even at an average level. But he knows where to go. He he seems to understand that, which is watching that game, I grew a little more frustrated about TLC. Because my thought was, I mean, Furkan doesn't even really know what he's doing, and it seems like he's worth more of a shot than TLC at this point. Yeah, I would love to see him get in the rotation as the year progresses. I understand, you know, the question boils down to why are they sending him back and forth? And to me, it's pretty clear. They're sending him down to Delaware to play. They're bringing him back up to Philadelphia to practice. So that's why he goes up and down so frequently. You know, it's. I think they want him practicing with the team, but getting playing time whenever possible. And that's the only real way to do it. It just looks bad. Like, for, in some weird way, I think it almost looks better to fans if they just keep him in Philadelphia and don't play him. Because I think you assume he's probably getting more practice time or learning more, when that's not really the case. A lot of times, the NBA practices are few and far between. So I think, like I said, they want to send him down, get him playing, bring him back up when the Sixers are practicing. And... um you know, I think I think that's more or less the right strategy to have. In the NBA, what I like him playing, you know, at this point, it's almost like TLC is so bad that what the hell? Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily right for Furcon's development. Like, I think we assume that playing time is always good, and it probably is. But if Brett Brown doesn't feel like he's ready, and clearly I don't think Brett Brown feels like he's ready, you know, then then maybe they want to take a different approach. I don't know. I would. It's it's. I don't think you're going to see too much of him this year. Maybe at the tail end. He gets a little more playing time, but to me, it, it's they just they don't feel he's ready, and I don't know if there's any other way I can really put it. Yeah, and I, you know, if he's shooting sub twenty from three in the in the G League, that might not uh, ease any of those concerns they have. No, no, that's not. It was funny. I, I saw his thirty five percent field goal percentage, but then I broke it down. He's shooting like fifty two percent inside the arc. He's actually had some success in the G League in that regard. But it, I mean, when you're shooting 19% and jacking up eight threes a game, your your field goal percentage is going to suffer. It's basically like he's he's Robert Covington last night every game, and that's not not a great way to build an offense. Um, all right, I think that's probably about all that I have. Anything else you want to say or plug while we have the chance? No, I mean I plug the same things you do, man. We we, we write for the same site, so 
Well, I meant more like an article you wrote, but yeah, no, clearly go to the Athletic Philadelphia, sign up. There's deal. I, I think it's twenty percent off, but yeah. I don't know if we say that enough. Go to the Athletic Philadelphia. Uh, check it out. We got some pretty good stuff in every sport. We uh, I I mentioned it once when we first launched the site, which seems fair to me. And we got a review complaining that it was, you know, just an advertisement of a podcast. And I was like, fuck off, dude. Like we, we like you say, I don't think we ever even really mentioned our website. Uh, we mo- more or less keep those two separate. But yes, we would love it if you subscribe. We think. Between Rich and myself and Mike, we bring something unique to Sixers coverage. Go check it out. Also check out Harry's Razors, harrys.com slash Sixersbeat. I really do use them every day or at least every day that I shave because sometimes I'm lazy. Great shave, half the price. Good uh, good deal. All right. Thanks for jumping on, Rich. Advertisements out of the way. Make us money. Have a good one. <laughs> See you, man. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBowlers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.